So church family, we have been in a series called Cultivate, where we are looking at different spiritual practices that we can engage in as followers of Jesus to be able to clear room to draw closer to Jesus, to become more like him, to do the things that he did. As a reminder, Robert Mulholland defining these spiritual disciplines or what we call spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others or as Canadian Pastor John Thompson said, God's not attracted to our spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines clear the environment so we get to hear him. That as we engage in these disciplines, we actually clear room. God's not super duper impressed when you do a spiritual discipline. He's not like, oh good, Johnny, you're finally reading your Bible. I have your attention now. Like God is already paying attention to you. But as we engage in these disciplines, we're actually clearing our environment to be able to hear more from God. And so last week, Brian and Dave talked about hospitality. If you weren't here, you could take a listen. Our sermons are available online on Spotify and elsewhere. But today, what a beautiful segue. We get to look at the discipline of celebration. So I'm going to pray one more time. Lord Jesus, you are obviously present here in this place. In spirit of God, I pray that you, like Nathan prayed, would open our eyes, open our ears to the things that you desire for us to see and hear. And that, Lord, we would be good listeners, but even better doers of what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of my favorite parts about being a parent is to cheer on my kids. I don't really care what it is. I love cheering them on. Whether it was their first step, their first successful trip to the potty, which we celebrated with chocolate and a page of a coloring book. And maybe they colored outside the lines, but that beautiful picture, I celebrated along with my kids. Or even celebrating along with my sweet daughter a month or so ago that decided to accept Jesus into her heart. As a dad, and for Sarah, I know I could speak for you, as a mom, we love celebrating our kids. And I don't care how big or small the event. And you know what? My kids know when mommy and daddy celebrate them. There is a mood change within the kid when they know that they are celebrated, when they know that mom and dad are proud of them. For those of you that aren't parents, maybe this illustration will land a little bit more. How many of you have been rollerblading in the past two or three decades? Darmic, thank you for shooting your hand way up. We should go rollerblading together. It would be fun. But there's a number one hit from 1980 by this band called Cool in the Gang. I'm going to read some of the lyrics for you. There's a party going on right here, a celebration to last through the years. You probably know the song now, and you're singing it in your head. I'm not going to sing it because we don't need that on record. So bring your good times and your laughter, too. We're going to celebrate your party with you. Come on now. And as the song, the climax says, celebrate good times. Come on. I know it was really hard to not sing it, but. (laughs) But church family, we are called to be a group of people, in particular followers of Jesus, that celebrate. 
not just when it's convenient or when we're feeling like it. We are called to be an outpost of celebration for a world that despises celebration. And I'm going to be bold here and hang tight. I have a whole sermon to get through, but we don't celebrate well. We also don't lament really well, and that's a different sermon. But we don't celebrate well. Like, yes, we have baptisms, and we do, like, very seldom specific things like this, and we love celebrating, but do we create regular rhythms of celebration? In particular, in the Midwest, we excel at a few things. We work hard. We make it through our week. Like I mentioned in the sermon on rest, we love wearing the badge of honor, like, hey, I'm good. I'm just busy. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. But yet, do we create regular rhythms of celebration? Can we become a family of people in the midst of the culture that dwells on negativity, on cancel culture, gaslighting, gossip, and the list can go on? Can we, in the midst of that, choose to regularly be a people who are celebrating what God is, has, and will continue to do? Because we have a lost and a dying world around us that is looking desperately for something to hold on to that they can find joy, meaning, and ultimately to celebrate with. And we as a church family are called to be that. So what we are going to do is we're going to walk through the Holy Scriptures to give us a broader idea of a theology of celebration. We'll look at how Jesus celebrated, and then we'll end with Luke 15. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to start Genesis 1. So we're going to skip around a little bit through Genesis chapter 1, and we'll continue to move forward throughout the narrative of Scripture. But quick statement, celebration has been around since the very beginning of creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 12 says this, The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds and trees, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Verse 18 of chapter 1, To rule the day and the night and to celebrate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Verse 21, so God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 25, so God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Are you convinced yet? Verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. When God created the world, he paused to celebrate what was before him. God, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, took time out of his busy week, you know, creating the cosmos and everything, to pause and to celebrate the goodness that was before him. And he paused and he saw that it was good. God celebrated the work that he had done. I'm going to pause for a quick moment just to clarify. Our discipline of celebration is not to celebrate the work that we do, but it's to celebrate the work that God has done. 
God is God and he celebrates his work. But we, when we choose the discipline of celebration, we don't turn inward and look at, oh man, look what I did this week. Let's celebrate me. Yippee. In our discipline of celebration, we actually have eyes to see what God is doing and we choose to fix our eyes on God and what he's doing and we celebrate him. Or as Dallas Willard said, celebration is the completion of worship for it dwells on the greatness of God as shown in his goodness to us. We engage in celebration when we enjoy ourselves, our life, our world in conjunction with our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty, and goodness. We concentrate on our life and world as God's work and as God's gift to us. That the focus of our celebration is on the good God that is doing a work in, through, and around us. And that our eyes are fixated on him. If you have a paper Bible or even your electronic versions, we're going to go to the next book in the Bible called Exodus chapter 15. And as you are reading there or flipping there and as you eventually will read Exodus 15 to give you some backdrop, the nation of Israel had been in captivity for hundreds of years. And then God called Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery and toward the promised land that God had called the nation of Israel back in Genesis 12 with Abram. And Exodus 15 is the celebration of the nation of Israel's freedom. They had crossed the Red Sea, the the nation of Egypt. Their armies were attacking, and the waters overcame the Egyptian army. nation of Israel was safe. They get to the other side, and the thing that burst forth is song. Celebration that the mighty hand of God delivered them from the pursuing Egyptian army. And if you remember that definition I gave from Dallas Willard, this is exactly what the Israelites did in their song of deliverance. It wasn't, Moses, you're the guy. Look what you did. You raised the staff. You pounded it. Look at the waters part. That was awesome, Moses. If you read through Exodus 15, in particular verses 1 through 12, or 1 through 21, you will see that the nation of Israel only knew that it was the work of Yahweh that could have done what was just done. I'm going to read starting in verse 4, and we'll go to verse 13 together. He threw Pharaoh's chariots, which he is referring to God, and his army into the sea. The elite of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. You overthrew your adversaries by your great majesty. You unleashed your burning wrath. It consumed them like stubble. The water heaped up at the blast from your nostrils. The current stood firm like a dam. The watery depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire will be gratified at their expense. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. With your faithful love, you will lead the people. You have redeemed. 
you will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. Notice the focus on God, on his goodness, on his deliverance, and on all the things that he has done for them. And celebration didn't just end in Exodus 15. Eventually, Scripture goes on into Leviticus, and you don't have to turn there. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke 15, and we'll eventually end there. Um, But we're going to look at two chapters in Leviticus that talk about some celebrations that God had ordained for the nation of Israel to engage in. That from the very early onset of the nation of Israel, that God gave them specific rhythms and celebrations or holidays to be able to regularly pause, reflect on God's goodness, and to celebrate him. So I'm going to look at four specific holidays, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how Jesus actually came and fulfilled those. How Jesus actually came as an embodiment of this celebration so that now we as followers of Jesus, can celebrate Jesus for the things that he's done, but it points back towards the early celebration. So the first one from Leviticus 16 is called the Day of Atonement, or in the Jewish calendar, it's called Yom Kippur. One day per year, the priest, or in Leviticus 16, the case is Aaron, would go through an intense process. And please read the chapter. It is an intense process that the priest goes through for the Day of Atonement. He would go through an intense process to clean himself and to make a lot of intricately detailed sacrifices. And on this day, with all the instructions done properly, God would cleanse the nation of Israel from their sin. This was a day that was celebrated as a day of cleansing, but it was also a call to repentance. This was a great day of celebration for the nation of Israel, not dependent on what they did, but dependent on God and his mercy upon them. And then we get to Jesus. And Mark 10, 45 says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or as Isaiah 53, five says, he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. So that as Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood, that we know that through his eternal sacrifice that we can celebrate, that we now can have that cleansing without a priest having to go through all of these religious hoops just so we could be cleansed one day a year. We can now be declared cleansed because of the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. And if that doesn't cause for celebration regularly, I don't know. Because as you heard these testimonies of these five young people, that in the midst of this culture of decay, that they have chosen the way of Jesus, and they know that what Jesus has done for them is enough, and they have chosen to follow after him. And that's something we need to regularly celebrate, which is why we love Easter. So I'm preaching this sermon so by the time Easter comes, we could get really rowdy and excited about what Jesus has done. The next holiday is Passover. This is found in Leviticus 23, verses 4 through 
8. This was a sacred celebration feast that the nation of Israel remembered God's passing over the doors of the Israelites whose door frames were covered in the sacrificial blood of the unblemished lamb. This happened as the last plague of the 10 plagues. If you've, if you've read through the book of Exodus or seen the movies, that the nation of Israel would sacrifice a lamb, cover over their door frames with the blood of the lamb, and that, that the spirit of God would pass over their doors. And they were regularly celebrated the Passover in Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verse 41, it says this, that every year Jesus' parents would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, that Jesus, every single year, was celebrating the Passover. And that as Jesus grew and began to understand more of his mission, that he was, as he attended these, realized, I'm going to fulfill that. that I am going to be the Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says to clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened bread as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That as we read in the story of Exodus of God passing over those whose door frames were covered in the blood of Jesus, that we as followers of Jesus now can celebrate Passover and that Jesus' blood has cleansed us, covered us, and has passed over us from sin, judgment, and ultimately eternal damnation. And that that is something that we can regularly celebrate. The third one is the Feast of the first fruits, which is found in Leviticus 23, verse 6. This was a festival to thank God and to honor him for the harvest. And so they would bring their first fruits, not the secondary. They didn't save all of the really, really good things for themselves. And then like the stuff that has kind of the defects like you find in like the Instacart at Aldi, they'll give you some of the, eh, that's okay, we'll give it to them. Like you bring your first fruits, the good stuff, and you celebrate the harvest that God has given you. And this is, this is awesome, church. For those of you that claim the name of Jesus, this should get you a little excited. The Feast of the first fruits. this was the same day that Jesus resurrected from the grave. That as they were celebrating the first fruits, that that was actually when Jesus our first fruit was resurrected from the grave and brought ultimately a harvest, spiritually speaking, that we could never create. That Jesus is our first fruit. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 22 to 23. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For just as in Adam all will die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And the last one is Pentecost. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 16. So 50 days after Feast of Firstfruits, you continue to bring firstfruits and two leavened pieces of bread along with sacrifices that this was a symbol of the end of the grain harvest and later became a time for God's people to celebrate God bringing the law. And wouldn't you know it, after Jesus resurrected from the grave, 50 days later, 
after he had ascended to the Father. And he said, wait here in Jerusalem for the promise. Then the day of Pentecost comes. And in an upper room, the Spirit of God unleashes. And if you remember the two pieces of bread, that now that was a symbol as they're celebrating Pentecost, that there is now Jew and Gentile. That both have access to the same God, the same Spirit. And as the Spirit of God came, thousands came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and were baptized that day. And there's so many other celebrations throughout Leviticus and throughout the Old Testament. But I think it's interesting that in the Old Testament, followers of God had regular patterns of celebration. Not just like Easter, Christmas, we're done, which is what we typically do here in the Western church, but there were regular patterns of celebration, regular rhythms of recognizing what God has done. So the question has to be asked, how did we get here? How did we get to where our gatherings here in this place and in many others, we just, we come, we listen to a song, we hear a guy who's supposed to be able to preach and maybe an occasional like third other thing and then we leave and that's about it. And why can't we gather together and regularly celebrate what God is doing, has done, and will continue to do? So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Luke chapter 15. Because I think there's a lot of principles within this story that we can learn as we desire, hopefully desire to celebrate. So what I'm going to do is just outline four different principles for us within this story about celebration. Number one, celebration doesn't demand all the details. If you have this story before you, we have the son, the wayward son that took his half of the inheritance, went off, spoiled it, did all sorts of things, and then was hired by a citizen of said place and ended up in such a low place. And he had this like come to, come to daddy moment. And he was like, man, even my dad's servants have it way better than I do. I better come home. And he like rehearses the apology and he starts coming home. And when the dad sees the son off in a distance, do you think he's sitting there getting out his notepad like, what did you do with my money? What were you doing while I was gone? Here's the plan for me to restore you. The father didn't care. He thought his son was dead. And when he saw his son in a distance, the father did something so outrageous for a father in that culture to run was a sign of shame. The father emptied himself because he didn't care about his own reputation. He saw his son in the distance and he realized that he was alive and he's coming back home. And his first reaction, not his second, his first was a sprint to his son. 
And as the father runs to the son and embraces him, in the midst of his mess, he was in the midst of pigs, probably didn't have time to go take a shower. He smells bad in the midst of all of the sin and guilt and the filth, and he sees him off in a distance, and the father embraces him. He doesn't ask the questions. He celebrates because his son is home. And for us, we don't need details to celebrate. If God has done something, we party. We don't need to be like, oh, well, did you go walk through the Romans road and make sure that you were saved? Do we need to bring a priest in here to make sure that you're really, we don't have to do that. If someone who is lost is found, we party. You know why heaven parties? Heaven doesn't ask second questions about a son or daughter who is in the dominion of darkness and is now in the kingdom of light. God doesn't care about the details. A son or daughter has come home. And that's why in baptism, these five people decided to choose the way of Jesus over the way of the world. And that's why we clap. That's why we celebrate. We don't need the details. We party hard because a lost son has come home. Because if God has done a great thing, as Cool and the gang so eloquently said, we celebrate good times. Come on. Didn't think I would come back around to that quote, did you? The second thing, celebration will have opposition. Opposition from the outside world, but I'm here to warn you, church, there will be opposition within these walls to celebration. There just will be. Why? But I've been here all along. I've been saved. I've been coming to church. Check my, check, check my attendance. I've come every week. We just celebrated Bill, and Bill hasn't come to church in months. And the older son here was not about this celebration. He hears the festivities and instead of just like, cool, party, let's go. It's like, what's that? Your brother's come home. And instead of celebrating that his brother has come home, he goes straight to daddy, marches off, probably stomping his feet. He's like, dad, come over here. Like celebration, fattened calf, son's got like the ring and the robe on, doing all the good things. Dad, come on. He like brings him out to the front porch, swinging on the front swing. And he's like, Dad, do you know that this son of yours has taken half of your possessions? Because the opposition to celebration will demand the details. Catch the father's response to the older son. Son, he said to him, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we, catch this, we had to celebrate and rejoice because this, brothers of your, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And as we celebrate what God has done, there will be others that will be bitter because we don't celebrate them. 
but may we as Connection be a church that finds joy in celebrating the one over the 99. Because that's how heaven celebrates. So third, celebration requires our best. In this story, the father didn't give a leftover coat, didn't give a ring that probably had a lot of dust on it. You weren't wearing it for a while. And the father wasn't too concerned about his bank account, his assets, because he had already given half of that to his son. But he still gave his best to his son. He quickly unloaded what he valued and had to celebrate what God has done. Because the value of celebrating his son far outweighed what he owned. Because if you've listened the past few weeks in church, we've talked a little bit about generosity. Doug preached on that and hospitality and how we give our things to others so they could be able to see Jesus. And when we celebrate, we give our best because God is the best and he deserves our best. And if you remember the festival celebrations that I walked through in Leviticus, they required the best in the first. Now, like, I got, I got my stuff over here, and I have a little things on the fringe, and there's a celebration at church. I guess I better give a little bit of this, which I will say, when we have church potlucks, y'all bring your first fruits. And you know who I'm talking about, that you bring the, that, like, crock pot filled with that one thing, and it gets taken super quick. Well done. Church potlucks outweigh any other kind of gathering of food. So well done on that. But church family, when we individually and corporately celebrate, let's do so with our best. When we throw parties over decisions to follow Jesus or baptisms, or maybe young people who feel commissioned into the ministry, or whether you have a personal breakthrough, or you've experienced freedom from an addiction, or a prodigal son has returned home, maybe a marriage has been restored, or whatever it is that God is doing, can we come together as a church and like vow to celebrate with the best that we got? Because if God has moved, and if he has done something so big, like restoration, salvation, commissioning young people into ministry, that deserves for our church family to celebrate. And I've already alluded to this, but the fourth thing that this story brings out is that celebration is heaven invading earth. That as we choose to celebrate, a portal into heaven is opened and heaven comes down as we celebrate. Which is why when these young people were getting baptized, I don't know about you, but I was over here like ready for some kind of tissue because I was a mess. But that's because the joy of heaven came down in this place. And as Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer talks about, like, may your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, that that happened this morning. Heaven met earth. And when we choose to celebrate, whether that's in your living room like the longs during that powerful devotional, which I think is awesome, 
Heaven met earth. When you had a personal breakthrough and you're reading scripture and God revealed something to you and you just drew closer to him, we celebrate because heaven came to earth. When a marriage gets restored, when a young person comes to know Jesus for the first time or receives a call into vocational ministry or whatever it is, in that moment, God is meeting us here. And if you read through the book of Revelation, which Timmy read, and apparently that was his coming to Jesus moment, which is awesome. When I read Revelation as a young person, I had more questions and assurances, so bless you, Timmy. But as you read through the book of Revelation, it's really a book of celebration for those that are found in Jesus. That as Jesus, the coming king, returns back to restore and redeem us, that it is a book of celebration that there is a wedding feast of the Lamb and that as we come back together with our Heavenly Father, we celebrate currently in the midst of pain, grief, and death, but as we celebrate in the age to come that God will wipe away our tear and there will be no more pain and no more grief and no more death. But as we celebrate here and now, we are simultaneously celebrating with the saints and the angels. And we do so right now in the midst of pain and grief. Why? Because we're called to be an outpost of celebration in a world that does not celebrate well. The world around us is looking for a person, a product, or a movement to join that gives them a sense of purpose, meaning, and delight. The world might not admit it, but the world is eagerly seeking a savior. Some are looking to a sports team, an athlete, a celebrity, a social movement to be their savior. And for many of us in this room, we have found the savior and his name is Jesus. The savior isn't a political or social movement once again, it's not an athlete or a celebrity or a brand or a make-your-life-better product. But we celebrate in our Savior because we are, for those of us found in Christ, we are an adopted son or daughter of God, and we are a co-heir with Christ. If you think about the magnitude of that, that is worth celebrating. That the creator God has chosen to make himself known to you and that you have responded to what he has done for you. That is something we should celebrate regularly and often. And for those of us who have experienced that life-altering news, your family, your friends, coworkers, community, this city that we call home called Danville and beyond, they need us, myself included, to be that community of people who are an outpost of celebration. Because how great would it be if someone from outside of our church comes here in our midst and they can describe our gatherings as a celebration. That we are a people that when we gather together, we celebrate what God is doing around us, in us, through us. 
Because I don't, I don't know about you, but growing up, we had an old, maybe this is old school or whatever, but we would have like a microphone and we would pass it around and we would have praise reports. People who would share the good things that God has done. Anyone like remember those good old days? Okay, for those of you that don't, let me just describe it. We would gather together and we would actually pass around, take significant time of our gathering to share what God has done. People would share of healing in their life. Maybe they would just share about like a good week at work or whatever it is. And we would join together as a church and celebrate. Maybe we should bring that back. Instead of maybe like four worship songs, we do two. And for one of those times, we pass a microphone around and we celebrate what God has done. Because when we celebrate, we become encouraged because God is moving. Even if you don't feel like God is moving in your life, God is moving. He is doing something and we can choose to celebrate that even if it doesn't mean celebrating you. So may we become a church family that celebrates well and regularly. May we throw awesome parties in the midst of pain, grief, and all of those things which are just a part of the world that we live in, but may we celebrate well, church. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are worth celebrating. That if we choose to celebrate something else, that that other thing might eventually let us down. But God, you never let us down. A sports team will eventually lose. A celebrity will fail. A make-your-life-better project will eventually become obsolete. But God, you are eternal. You are good. You love us, care about us. And you are worth celebrating. And God, I pray that we as a church family would engage in this discipline well. That as we go from this place, that we would become a person and a group of people that celebrate you and what you're doing well. That in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of this culture that is currently so bent around the axle around negativity, that we would become people that don't focus and dwell and talk about those things, but that we would be able to actually bring celebration into our lost and dying culture. And God, as we gather in this place in the days to come, would our church become a church that gives its first and its best to celebrate you? God, we love you. We're thankful for all the things that you have done and will continue to do. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.